good to be here with you this morning. My name's Thomas, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm so thankful for you making it during this incredible heat wave. Uh, this week it is, I think, predicted to be almost a full 50 degrees hotter today than it was last week. Is that incredible? Wow, 50 degrees. So, the Lord is kind, is, is what I mean to say. Oh, and the kids are now released. Is that what I was supposed to say? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Well, uh, we are continuing our series, uh, our, our, yeah, our sermon series through the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bible, which I highly encourage you, bring your good old-fashioned, made-out-of-a-tree Bible with you. Um, Deuteronomy 1 uh, is where we will be. Well, movie lovers among us may remember the great 2005 uh, film featuring Johnny Depp, Willy Wonka, and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Well, uh, and the, the astute among us, and probably most of us, would be even more familiar with the 1977 movie with uh, great University of Iowa alumni Gene Wilder as great Willy Wonka. Two stories, uh, or two, two movies, they're essentially telling the exact same story. Right? It's sort of a strange phenomenon. Remakes. These have become huge, big business for Hollywood. Essentially, uh, you know, there are different kinds, too. There are some remakes where they, they are telling... It's sort of the same characters and sort of a similar idea, but it's very different in, in terms of what comes out in the, in the remake. And then there's some, like Willy Wonka, where it's, it's the exact same story. It's not shot for shot, it's not, but it's, it's just really almost the same. Um, and, of course, uh, anyone who loves books and raw doll will know that uh, all three, all, both of those are remakes or adaptations of the book. So... Why is it? Why do we have, we have three different tellings of the same story? Well, obviously, in each case, um, they are telling us a, a slightly different story. The slightly different emphasis uh, making a, a slightly different point. And astute listeners or readers, and especially in our case today, readers, will note the differences and, and really zoom in on the differences and learn what is different there. Now, I say all that because today's passage, Deuteronomy uh, 9, 1, 9 through 46, and especially 19 through 46, uh, the entirety of this passage, yes, the entirety, uh, is also found in the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. That is to say, just almost in the same way that Willy Wonka version 2005 with creepy Johnny Depp, okay, he's creepy, I'll just say it, um, in the movie, uh, it's, it's almost the same as the 1977 version. So here, what's, what's going on there? Location, location, location. Or uh, for the literary among us, context, context, context. Uh, Israel, in our story today, has been freed from Egypt, right? And they are destined for the promised land. They've been freed from the oppressive enslavement of Pharaoh, uh, and they have crossed the Red Sea, they've escaped, and they are on their way an 11-day journey, Deuteronomy 1-2 says, 11 days journey from Horeb, which is the, the word in Deuteronomy for Sinai, where, of course, the Ten Commandments are given, and, and so forth. They arrive at the border of the promised land. The land God has promised. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt and give you a land. You will be a real nation. can't really be a nation unless you have land. You need land. I will bring you into this place. And so they're on the border, and instead of trusting God and going up into the land, they hear the report from the spies that they sent ahead, and their hearts melt. 
It's the language of the passage. Their hearts melt within them. They say, they're big. The land is good, but the people are big. And instead of trusting the Lord, who says, I myself am going ahead of you. I'll, I'll find a place for you to camp, he says. I'm going to find a place for you to live. I'll make sure everything goes great. They don't trust him. And as we see in our passage today, they don't trust him. Then he says, I've, you know, therefore, these things, bad things are going to happen. They say, oh, never mind. We'll do it. They go up. They get defeated. And what should have been an 11-day journey and then an immediate conquest of the land that God had promised them, instead, as we see, it was in verse, uh, oh, I'm going to miss it right now, but God says, turn around, back into the desert, 40 years. What should have been an 11-day journey turns into 40 years of wandering around in the desert until God's promise in this passage that every single one of them that refused to enter the land would fall in the desert. Today's passage greets us at Israel's second chance. Once again, they, have, they are gathered on, on the plains of Moab looking into the land that God had promised to give them. Except every one of the previous generation has fallen. They've died in the wilderness, just as God promised would happen in this passage. And this speech of Moses, which is really the whole book of Deuteronomy, is given in this context. So a lot of what I'm saying will apply to the rest of the series. But Moses' speech today is, is given to the children of the people to whom these events happened. So that, learning from the mistakes of the previous generation, they will do what their, their parents failed to do, which is trust God and enter the land that God has promised. So, what, the, I think the question that rings in the air as Moses gives these words, which are really just him telling the story of what happened with their parents, the, the question that rings in the air is, here we are, right? Back at, at the doorstep of the land that God has promised, just like your parents were. And the question that rings in the air is, what's going to be different this time? How, how will you succeed where your parents failed? How will you be full of courage instead of having your hearts melt? Now, we are, are not the nation of Israel. Um, we are uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And so we do not have a promised land to enter into, a literal land to enter into, although God promises a future home for us. Uh, instead, we, have, we do, however, have a mission that God has given to us. And, and while Israel was, as we know, rescued out of slavery by the sacrifice of the innocent lamb on their behalf, remember uh, the story of the Exodus, they simply believe in, in, in God's promise and are saved into the mission that God has given us. So too we have been rescued from slavery to sin by the sacrifice of the lamb, that is uh, the New Testament's word for Jesus, the lamb of God on our behalf, simply by believing just as uh, the Israelites were able to exit slavery in Egypt simply by, by applying the blood of the lamb, right? we just sang about the blood of, of Jesus, right? But they had the blood of the lamb and they just put it on their doorpost and they probably felt silly while they were doing it. And yet simply by believing in God's promise, they, they were saved. So we, simply by believing, no work on our behalf, uh, simply by believing have been rescued but not rescued simply into sort of gener generic freedom, but into the mission that God has given us. And our mission, like theirs, is to spread the dominion, the rule of God, 
not just into one specific land of the world at one specific time as Israel was in the promised land, but over the face of the entire earth. So, I know that was a long intro, but we're here. In Deuteronomy 1, like us, God's people stand on the precipice of the great mission for which God has redeemed them. They're redeemed to be part of God's redemption. So are we. And the questions that rang in the air for them then ring in the air for us now. And, and all the more so if you understand where we are as a church. Will they look at the challenge before them and chicken out? Disbelieving God's heart for them? Will they despair of, of God's power and presence among them? Like their parents did. Will, will they, or will they take courage in heart, believe God's promises, and break free from the sinful patterns that they're inherited from their ancestors according to the flesh, like we have too, and with courage take up the mission that God has given us? Now, those were the words to them then, and they are the words written not just for them, but for us today. So, listen and live. <laughs> this is why I want us to hear from Deuteronomy 1 today. Courageously embrace God's mission today. Courageously embrace God's mission today. Let's go to the Father in prayer. He is this, our only hope. Let's go to him. Father... Like your people so many years ago, we too are on a journey of faith that has led us into a strange and perhaps precarious place. Help us, Lord, as we look to the examples of your faithfulness in the past, help us to see the dangers that we must avoid, uh, the dangers within our own hearts, not the dangers in your character, but the dangers in ours. Help us to avoid the pitfalls the mistrust of you to which every one of us is prone. Lord, we know that underneath all of our sins is the thought that you are not really for us. Help us to hunger most of all for your presence, for your favor on us, because with you, we are invincible and unstoppable. Lord, if only we believe that. With you, we can believe that. You are with us, and for us. You are great and good. Put those two truths, those twin truths, into our hearts and make us unstoppable for Christ. Do this, we pray, for his glory, for our good. Amen. Now, like I said, I, I want us to courageously embrace God's mission today. And this passage is going to teach us how to do that through three lessons. The three lessons that the, uh, the generation in Deuteronomy was to learn from the mistakes of their parents, so too we can learn as well. Three lessons. I'll just tell you up front because that'll make it easier to follow. First of all, be wary. Wary. It's like being warned. Be wary. Secondly, be hungry. Thirdly, be hopeful. Be wary, be hungry, and be hopeful. So be wary. That's our first point. Let's look down uh, with me again at verses 25 through 28. Uh, and they say this. They took in their hands some of the fruit. This is, this is the spies, Moses is reminding them, of the spies who went up into the promised land, their parents' generation, and came back to give a report of what the promised land looked like. 
And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it's a good land that the Lord God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the land, into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt and so forth. Now, I think it's appropriate to just pause and remind you, the journey from Egypt to the Promised Land, I think it's easy to sort of get lost in the details of this and think, oh yeah, it was a 40-year journey. There are no 40-year journeys. You can walk around the whole earth in 40 years, I think. No, it was 40 years of wandering. It was meant to be an 11-day journey. 11 days. That, and that's significant for this point because, let me remind you, that means that 11 days before they said, it's because the Lord God hates us that he brought us out of Egypt. 11 days before, that's where they went in their hearts. You know what they saw? They saw, they saw 10 plagues come down on the land of Egypt so that God could free them from enslavement. 11 days before this, they crossed the Red Sea. 11 days, okay? Do you remember what happened like last Tuesday? That's, was, that's like 11 days ago. You remember it? Okay, that's how close they were. 11 days ago, they were walking through on dry ground in the middle of the ocean, basically, looking to the right, and I don't know, probably maybe there, you see a fish go by? I don't know. Kind of cool, I would expect. Maybe, I, I expect it would leave a bit of an impression on you. Just a thought. Ten, 11 days, not even 11 days, from the pillar of cloud that led them along to show them which way they would go. Here's the best way around this mountain. Go this way. Avoid this people, blah, blah, blah. 11 days being led by a pillar, a literal pillar of cloud through the wilderness. 11 days at night being led by a pillar of fire. A pillar of fire. 11 days. That is, the events of God's salvation were not ancient history to the people who said these things. They were the days of last Tuesday the events of last Tuesday, their unbelief was not in spite of a lack of evidence. Their unbelief was in the face of a lack of evidence, or an, abundant of, an abundance of evidence, I should say, of marvelous experiences that I think any of, and let's be honest with ourselves right now, don't you hear these things and go, what a bunch of chumps. I would not have done that. I would have been faithful. I would have remembered. I'm glad you think that because that's exactly what Moses wants us to, wants his people to think and for us to think too. Because Moses doesn't bring this up just to sort of shame them and go, remember your parents? What a bunch of chumps. So let's talk about how they're stinkers, you know. No, and you see this because look at the pronouns that Moses uses. That's one of the significant changes that Moses makes here. Verse 22. Uh, then all of you came near to me and said, all of who? All of you? It wasn't them, no. And yet he says, all of you. Verse 26, yet you would not go up. He's saying these words to the children who maybe were there and were very young, but certainly they were not the ones who would not go up. Verse 27, and you murmured in your tents. No, they didn't. What, what's his point there? He's emphasizing their solidarity with the previous generation. Be wary. Be wary. 
just as they would share in the opportunity to enter the land to embrace and fulfill courageously God's mission, they also shared in the danger of disobedience. Their hearts, that is, were not really that different from their parents. And the same is true for us. We, we flatter ourselves thinking that if we saw the things that they saw, if, if God only, if I prayed, God, please, would you just show me one pillar of fire? Then I will believe. No, no, no. If we will, be courage, if we will courageously embrace God's mission for us today, we must be wary of our wayward hearts. It is not because of a lack of evidence, but because of a lack of trust in God's heart. How prone, I will just say, as I have examined my life in, a, in a, the years of faith that I've had, how prone I am to doubt God's heart for me. And, and at, I know, and, and if you have had insight into your own heart, you know that at the, at the foundation of my rebellion from God is the thought that if I were to really do what he says, my life would be a failure. I would not experience the joy that I could experience. I will not flourish. At, at the foundation of my disbelief, at the foundation of my sin, before, that is to say, before I break God's law, first I break his heart. Parents in the room, you must know this more than ever. It's one thing for your kids to sort of run off and do different things you, you, know, you might not like, but for, for your kid to say, I don't really think you, you want what's best for me. Is there anything that could hurt more than that? Now, there's good news here too. <laughs> Be wary of your wayward hearts. And there's an opportunity here too because uh, Moses gives this to us, gives this warning to them uh, because just the opposite is true as well. Just as uh, their discouragement and their refusal to enter the land was born out of, out of their, their uh, disbelieving hearts, so courage and incredible power toward mission and embracing all that God has for you, whether that's the tiniest risk of the day or the biggest thing of your life, uh, can also be cultivated through a heart that believes God's promises for us, that believes God's heart for us. Cultivate a heart of belief in God. Cultivate a heart of belief. Not, not just sort of generic um, belief in God, but specific belief in God's favor toward you in particular. This, this is, I mean, this is really the whole of the Christian life, but think about this in, this in this word. Nothing will deflate your life quite like not believing that God has what's best for you in mind. And on the other hand, nothing will fill you with courage and ambition for the day for God's purposes in your life, which will lead to true flourishing, by the way, than cultivating a heart of belief. Interpret your life accordingly. How much misery we experience because we think we deserve a perfect life. But how much life we can experience when we interpret the good and bad of our lives according to God's grace. Knowing that nothing that we experience is something that we deserve. But did you know, let me just, I'll summarize it this way. Every single thing in your life is God's attempt to bless you into flourishing and life. 
no exceptions. Now, come up afterward and ask me about my life, and I will tell you how that has proven to be true. Because I know there's some of you here who are thinking, you know what? You don't know. You don't know. And uh, it's not the suffering Olympics, okay? Um, but there are things, we have to reconcile our past. Some of you, you read this and you go, yeah, I can resonate with the Deuteronomy generation because the, some of the things I inherited from my parents, woof. How can I ever get over that? How can I ever forgive God for the way things have gone for me? And, it, and if we interpret our lives according to our own expectations, we'll become like the, the previous generation and our hearts will melt. But if we in, in, interpret our life according to God's faithfulness and his promises to us, that he doesn't owe us anything and everything he gives us is of grace, and the only question we might ask is, Lord, how do you intend to use this in my life for your good and to bless me? Then we will cultivate joy and courage forever. So the first thing we need to know is we must be wary. The Lord would love nothing more than for each of us to come to him every day, today and every day, and say, Lord, I, in my heart, I am prone to disbelieve that you are really for me, that you're really good for me. He would love nothing more than for us to come to him and say, I'm not sure I believe that today, Lord. Will you help me? The Father would love to just wrap his arms around every single one of us. And in fact, that's, that's kind of one of the main goals of, we often talk about, hey, read your Bible and pray every morning. That's your goal as a Christian to do that. Did you know that's, this is kind of the point of that? To remind yourself the gospel, that God loves us apart from the things that we've done, but because of what Christ has done, he wants to wrap his arms around every one of us and hug us into this truth. That's, that's the goal of your time with him. Okay, knowledge, you've got to get the knowledge in, you've got to know how to do it, you've got to be committed and dedicated and, and diligent and all those things, but the goal of it is just this, do it, it's, it'll be great. So we must be wary, we must be wary if we're going to have courage to embrace God's mission for us. But we also must be hungry. See this in verses 41 through 46. You answered me, again Moses speaking, uh, we have sinned against the Lord, we ourselves will go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up in the hill country. Pay attention here. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up and fight or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated by your enemies. What did they do wrong? Weren't they just doing what God told them to do? It was just a little bit delayed. No, in fact, uh, Moses points out, just like in the verse I emphasized there, what was wrong? The method of battle was not the important thing. Uh, it didn't matter if, if the, the Amalekites had nukes and tanks and, you know, machine guns up in there. What mattered was, is the Lord with us? That, that's the only question. In fact, this is, uh, like many things I'm saying today, this is basically thematic throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy. You know what matters about your life today? The, the, the most important question about the things that face you, the challenges, big and small, whether it's just getting out of bed or going across the world for whatever God has sent us to do, this is, the, this is the question. Is the Lord with us? And are we hungry for the Lord to be with us? Be hungry. We must be hungry for it. And that is what they didn't understand in verse 42. Their enemies and their armored cities did not matter. Uh, what mattered was this. I am not in your midst. I'm not in your midst. 
God's presence is the ultimate power. He is the maker of worlds and the destroyer of worlds. With, if he is with us, Parkview Church, you individually, if he is with you, with us, we cannot lose. We, we just can't. If he is not with us, if he is not in our midst, we will not win. Are we hungry for his presence? Okay, if you've been following, uh, as I have along with the Iowa Hawkeyes men's basketball team this season, you, uh, or if you have just read any newspaper with any sports coverage in the area for the last however many years, you've probably heard of someone called Luca Garza. Okay, he is this guy, and he just is like, I think about 12 feet tall, and um, he takes the basketball, and he just puts it through the hoop, and he's incredible, okay? And at the beginning of the season, Basically, everyone said, this guy's the best guy we've ever had, probably, and uh, as long as we have him, we'll win. Um, if he gets hurt, <laughs> ugh, we're toast, okay? Um, if ever the injury report comes along and his name appears on it, uh, things are in very bad shape for us. Well, so also with us, except it's not Luca Garza. Imagine if instead of Luca Garza, it's the God of the universe who makes every twitching atom that sits in this room, the chair in which you sit, uh, the heart cells in which your blood is beating, and every other spiritual reality and physical reality is held together, as Hebrews 1 tells us, by the word of his power, his itty-bitty pinky. <laughs> if he's on our team, okay, people look at the Iowa lineup and go, oh my goodness, Luca Garza is there. People look at us and they should go, oh my goodness. If he is with us, we're unstoppable. If he's on the injured list, so to speak, if he's, he, if he's not putting on the uniform, wow, don't even go on the court. That's the lesson that the, the people, uh, the former generation needed to learn, but didn't. God's, being sure of God's heart, let's, let's sort of combine those first two thoughts now. You know, it's one thing to be sure of God's heart for us, that he's good. And it's another thing to be sure of, of God's power. That is, that his presence is what we need. That he is with us and that he is powerful to save. His compassion, on the one hand, yes, but also his presence. It's, it's the ultimate formula. These two things, if we have them and we believe them and we embrace them in equal measure, it is the ultimate formula for fighting discouragement and achieving spiritual victory in your life. Here's what I mean. Power without compassion is unhelpful. Okay, uh, Bill Gates is very powerful. He's got a lot of money. He's got connections. But guess what? I don't think he's taking my phone call. <laughs> okay, or I'm sorry, any of yours. <laughs> uh, that is to say, he's powerful, um, but he is not compassionate. He doesn't care about me per personally. On the other hand, compassion without power, power is similarly unhelpful. You know, my, my little son, Jack, he's two years old, and he, I believe, he just really loves me. When I come into the room, his face just lights up. Dad, Dad, you came back. I was downstairs for 40 minutes. You came back. That's great. You know, he's just so happy to see me. But, uh, you know, if, if my, you know, when something goes wrong in my life, what power does he have to actually do something about it? He might love to. He, he can do barely anything <laughs> to help me. On the other hand, John Anwuchekwa says, our God is as compassionate as he is capable. That is, 
when you, if, if you belong to Christ Jesus and you walk into the room, like my son whose face lights up when he sees me, his face lights up when he sees you. Sheer delight in you. Wow. Has a hundred ideas about how to bless you. Not even a hundred. A million. A billion. About how to bless you and orient every aspect of your life to your flourishing and growth in Christ so that you will be ultimately happy. Wow. That's how much he is so for you. Did you know that? But none of that really matters if he's not able to do something about it. And like I said, every atom in this room Every molecule of your being is under his control. He is as compassionate, John Anuchekwa says, as he is capable. So be hungry for his presence. Be hungry for his presence. Follow it. Where is he leading you? Be, be sensitive to his spirit. If, if he is there, there's nowhere safer. You might be in the middle of the jungle. You might be in the middle of the most dangerous war zone wherever, but if his presence is with you, I don't know what will happen to you physically. I don't know what will happen to you, but I know there's nowhere safer for you. On the other hand, if, if he is not with you, oh my goodness. You might be in the safest place in the world, but you are, there's nowhere more dangerous than anywhere outside the will of God. Be hungry for his presence. And finally, be hopeful. Verses 34 through 40. The Lord heard your words, and he was angered. And he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, Moses says, even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit. And as for your little ones, who, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there, and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. Remember, these are the words of Moses that he delivered to the parents of the people to whom he's actually delivering these words. This whole passage is predicated on a second chance. A second chance for Israel. They have 40 years of wandering and death, and now they come back to the door of God's mission for them, of God's blessing for them. The entire nation gets a do-over. We will only be courageous, and they would only be courageous, if they understood the sheer grace of God the sheer kindness of the Lord. And it's here too. God's grace doesn't start in the New Testament. It starts in the heart of God, so it's always been there. Let's read verse 39 again. As for your little ones. That is to say that the people who heard this message were reminded by Moses in the content of what Moses spoke 40 years earlier, that the promise would be fulfilled in them. It would be their generation to come back into the land. God has been faithful to his promise. He has brought them back. And the passage also tells us something about why that's even possible. How can a God who is seriously just, who's serious, morally serious, let his people 
be the way they are, right? Well, you might have missed it. In, in verse 37, Moses says, even with me, the Lord was angry. Moses, who did nothing wrong here. Moses was simply the leader. Throughout Exodus and Numbers, Moses is not just the leader of this fledgling nation. He's also the mediator. Um, so what's going on here? Why does he include that detail? Even with me, the Lord was angry. And even though Moses was not the one who disobeyed, he suffers the punishment of the people on their behalf. It's a pattern. It's a signpost. It's pointing forward. One day, another leader would come. A better Moses. A truer Moses. And though he was perfect, he would absorb God's punishment for sin, even though he had done nothing wrong. Unlike Moses, he wasn't just perfect in, in one occasion. He was perfect in every occasion not just in the, that minor way that Moses was, but ultimately and finally accepting not just the punishment of not entering the promised land, but the punishment of God's ultimate justice for sin. Because of him, we can have hope. This is Jesus. On the cross, dying for people like you and me, who in our hearts grumble against God, that his heart is not really for us, doubting that he might be good, but he's not great. Or he might be great, but he's not good. Not only that, it is the basis for our belief. We can believe God's promises because we look back not just to the Exodus, we look back to the resurrection. We can believe God's promises because we look forward to the literal promise, not to the literal, literal promised land of Canaan, but to the new heavens and new earth where God will finally and fully reconcile all of those things in your life that feel impossible to reconcile with a true good and great God. He will do it. And the resurrection of Jesus is the evidence that we need. Better than a second chance. It's, did you know we don't just get a second chance in Christ? It would be one thing if in Christ God forgave our sins and then said, okay, you get to start over, like the, like the generation of the wilderness coming back to the promised land and saying, okay, don't mess up like your parents did. You get a second chance. No. In Christ, did, did you hear the song? Right? All, all my righteousness is in the blood of Jesus. Only, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What do we contribute? Nothing. We come to him and collapse into the arms of Christ and we get better than a second chance. What we get is God the Father looking at us, seeing none of our mess, and instead seeing all the perfection of Jesus. The question in our lives as we evaluate both our personal history the history of our church, where we are at this moment, and our future going forward is, what does God see when he looks at us? And if the gospel is true, and it is, then the answer is, he sees perfection. Spotlessness. God is as for you as he was for his perfect son. Well, we take courage. Will we look to Jesus? That's the only question. And, and I want you to think, I know I'm, I'm going long, but I, I want you to think about the, the emphasis here on the next generation. Some of you are here and you've been around this church and you've been in this, in this circle for years and years and years. And you think about where we are and you feel like, I think, I might, I think I'm just washed up and irrelevant now. I'm over the hill. I don't have anything left to offer. Wrong. We need you. 
we need all of the years that you have left in faithfulness to Christ and everything that you have learned about discipleship and walking with Jesus. And young people, we need you. Raise your hand. Is, I, I'm not going to ask you to actually raise your hand. But no, we are with you heart and soul and we need you desperately. Young people, to those you know, around my age and younger, I know some of you, you are disillusioned with the way things are in American Christianity probably at large. You're frustrated and confused and you maybe feel even like the people in, in Deuteronomy. You look at the previous generation and you go, ah, I'm frustrated. Will, this is your moment. You get to decide. Learn. Learn from them. And look toward the future. I look at my little two-year-old son, and some of you, maybe you don't have kids yet, and maybe some of you do. Um, what do we want to build for them? What legacy do we want to pass on? We get to leave a better legacy than the, than the wilderness generation in Deuteronomy. And we get to decide today. You get to decide with the patterns that you're forming in your life right now, with the relationships that you're making with fellow believers and with those in, in the watching world, and your faithfulness to Christ resounds from generation to generation. His steadfast love is from generation to generation. Did you know that? Yes, yes, his, his punishment might fall, but his, his greatness, is, his goodness toward the next generation is a thousand times better. What seeds are you planting now? And what do you want to, what do you want to bless your children with? Now, Deuteronomy 1, like I said, it invites us up onto the stage. It invites us onto the stage of this story and then just sort of closes, closes the curtains and it just sort of leaves us here wondering, will, will we, standing here on the edge of God's mission for us, will we go in? Will we take heart? Will we believe that God is both great and good? Will we be hungry for his presence? It just sort of, and then it just sort of closes the curtains and says, boy, we will see. We will see. And that's where our story ends today, inviting us up on the stage and drawing the curtain. Will we respond in faith? Will we gaze at Jesus and be so full of courage and confidence in God's heart and, and in his power? that will, will we listen and live? God is so eager to bless our responsiveness to him today. He is so, he is, he is knocking at the door of our hearts right now, ready for us to open up to him and all that he has for us. It's true absolutely impatient to meet us in our neediness. So let's courageously embrace God's mission for us today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are great and very good. Your heart is for us because of Christ. Because of Christ, you are endlessly for us. If only we believe that, Lord. If only I believe that today. What? Everything would change everything would change. Show me everything that needs to change and help me. Help me make connections to, to see how you want it to change. Help me to have courage. And most of all, Lord, give us a new heart. You promise you'll, you'll not just encourage us to be different, but you'll give us a different heart. So give us a new heart. I'll just, I want to leave just, just 15 or 30 seconds for you right now to, to respond to this word before we sing. Do some business with the Lord and ask him what it would look like for you to take courage for God's mission, even tomorrow or for the next 20 years.
Lord, fill our hearts with dreams and hope for your coming kingdom where you set all things right and help us to labor today in the reality that you are powerfully and compassionately with us. Do all this for your son's glory. Amen.